Hi, thank you for listening to this episode of the Following Films Podcast, a movie podcast that takes you on a weekly journey into the world of cinema and into the minds of the talented individuals who shape it. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today we're joined by director Jeff L. Lieberman to discuss his work on the documentary film, Bella. Using never-before-seen home movies, audio diaries, and a vast trove of newly discovered news footage, Bella delves into a colorful and gritty era where one woman sacrificed her own political ambitions for future generations of female leadership. Bella Abzug's story is as relevant today as it was 50 years ago. But before we dive into our conversation with Jeff, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore, where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and so much more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and in the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film collection or perhaps learn more about Bella Asbuck, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. There's always something truly wonderful to discover. Have you followed the following films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, head on over to Spotify. Search for following films and give us a follow. It really does help the show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff about Bella. The film will open theatrically in Los Angeles on Friday, August 18th at the Village East by Angelica and in Los Angeles on Friday, August 25th at the Lamley Monica Film Center. Definitely check this out. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how are you? Good, good. How are you today? Good. Thank I you. Look like too backlit. Are you recording video? Uh, no, no. Well, I, I'm recording. I'm just going to pull the audio from it. Um, I just okay. like to be able to see the person I'm talking to for uh, visual cues more than anything. Can you see me okay, or should I turn around? Oh, you're fine. You're fine. I can see you. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, if we were using the video, I would ask. But yeah, no, you're totally fine. I can see you perfectly. Uh, okay. Looks like it's a beautiful day. Where are you? I'm in Vancouver, Canada. How how are things in Vancouver right now? Has, has the summer calmed down for you at all yet, or? I'm. I've just been here uh, two days so far. Oh, okay. So good. <laughs> and I I escaped New York humidity, so I'm very grateful to be anywhere but there. I understand. I do. I used to live in Northeast New Jersey. I live in Arizona now, and I will take 110 degrees of this heat over 92 degrees in north that Northeast part of the country any day of the week. It's, <laughs> it's brutal there, man. So, um, but you've had warm temperatures too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been it's it's been rough. So, um, which I mean does tie into kind of the the film itself. It's it's this. Uh, I. Loved spending time with Bella, learning more about her, hearing her speak. It's one of those things that's I, I loved it, but it's also incredibly frustrating at the same time that something that is 50 years old, a speech from that long ago could be as salient today as it was then, if not more. Very true. Very true. And so I would assume that had to be a part play a part in why you would decide to cover this is just how um, not not only is this a story that hasn't been completely forgotten, but you do worry that stories like this will be forgotten, that it's not an immediate one, that, um, you know, this is a pop culture icon that maybe people that are under the age of 30 might not be familiar with at this point. And I think we do need films like this to remind people of our not so distant past. Correct. Correct. I mean, there's so many reasons to have made this film. I mean, Bella deserved more. Yes. 
during her time, she was underappreciated in, in the realms of history. She has not really been given her due either. Um, and you're correct, like the issues from 50 years ago are some of the same issues we're talking about today, you know, abortion, immigration, gay rights, um, you know, equal justice, equal pay, childcare. So, you know, I think Bella was awesome in, in a sense for like pushing the country and pushing the world 50 years ago. Um, and, you know, my hope is that the film inspires more Bellas to continue that fight and, and re re-engage and, and, and re, uh, rebirth some of that energy so that we don't get too um, dismayed that that progress takes so much time. Yeah. It's um, and it's easy to become complacent to just, uh, because I, and not appreciate our immediate past, you know, I'm 46 and my dad went to a segregated high school. So he, you know, we are not that far separated from this past. That is something that in my estimation, it, I can't even imagine that world. That's not something I could even fathom, but we're that close to it that, you know, Bella was born the year that women got the right to vote that we are, man, we are barely as far as, as progressive as a society, as I like to think we are at times. I mean, how much progress we've made. It's man, we are just starting this ball rolling right now. Really? Yeah, the film is a good reminder of yeah. of that in many ways. It's like, yeah, we're not that distant from like a lot of really big injustices, and um, we've we've made some progress, but it's not enough. You know, no, we can't rest on our laurels, and I think that um, it's something that's said about Bella in the film that really struck a chord with me. Where um, I believe it's uh, Clinton when she's talking about him, she says that, or, or talking about her, that she says she always remembered who she was fighting for the Bella always yes. they, they, frequently people, they start a political career and they have the best of intentions. They have, they won't know who they're fighting for, but then just the little thing that happens of, I don't know if it's power or money or influence and those things. And it's very easy to lose sight of that. And, yeah. and it's always wonderful to see political leaders who held on to that their entire time. And, that that's the easiest way to sum her up is she never forgot who she was through this whole process. I think it was so ingrained in Bella that she couldn't depart from that. You know, she I'm sure celebrity did affect her and power did affect her. And of course. I did try to take a very critical look at her in making this film as a journalistic pursuit. Um, but I think that is true, that she really did start out fighting uh on on some very particular issues and for very some very particular groups and those evolved and but really stuck to that same passion and same commitment and could you talk a little bit about um the way you structured this film because it's yeah. it's something where i could have easily just sat and watched her speeches for <laughs> 90 minutes i would have been fine with that but i'm probably in the minority and so <laughs> when you contextualize this i think that's really important and you have some incredibly uh you have the people involved in this the talking heads the people are reacting her that'll get people to they're not familiar to this with the story they'll say okay i want to see what these people have to say about this subject but really in the end it's this central character that i just want to learn more about when it's all said yeah I, I like that you asked that because I'm reminded of when I finished my last film, The Amazing Innocent Simone, and yeah. I told while I was starting out on making this movie about Bella, somebody asked me if I would miss not having 
the the mix of music and performances to include in a film like this. And it, it didn't even occur to me that that would even be a factor because those speeches are the performances. Those are the music. Those are the elements that you want to bring in. Um, I wish there were more of them. I would have included more had I found them. Um, there were more from the 80s and 90s, but really from that 1970 to 1980 period, which I really focus on in the film, um, I had a hard time finding many. Um, and the ones I did find, I tried to include as much as I could. So I'm glad to hear you appreciated them and wanted to hear more. Um, and, and the way I structured it was really like, I wanted to get Bella elected and into yeah. office as soon as I could in the making of the film. Sure. So I did not go chronologically, even though she has a really fascinating first 50 years of her life. And that's also something to sort of like consider. She wasn't, she was 50 when she first ran for office. Um, and that to me was like the key moment, like let's get her running, let's get her elected, find out why, give enough background and let's get her into office. And then let's look back at like who she was and how she was formed and how these ideals came to her. Um, and then the the majority of the film is, as I said, from 70 to 80 with, you know, an equally impressive chapter post those years. Um, but the, the main act, the act two um is this is this these years in congress when she was really like challenging the men who made up of congress and and telling them that this could not go on, go on any further and and importantly it's something that as a society and as as a filmmaker um well aware that the we devalue women in society frequently and with age it it gets worse and that you know when a woman over a certain age, a man over a certain age, but I think it's especially true with a woman. I mean, if you look in politics, it's one area where it's basically just a bunch of 75 plus year old white guys for the most part. Exceptions are out there, of course, but the vast majority of it is in this very narrow range. And women at that time were just told to shut up, sit down, mind your place. And especially women of a certain age, it was just so... I was floored by this in so many ways. And I think of my relationship with my wife and how we interact with each other. And I think of just the, that dynamic would have been so foreign at that time that we have now that I think we take for granted. Right. And I think it, it, it does still go on today. Yeah. There is definitely, um, especially when you look at older women in, in many realms of our society, we do not put as much value on them as we do with young, young men, particularly young white men. Um, so, you know, there is still that gap that needs to be addressed. And, you know, I hope this film speaks to men as much as it does to women um, to just let them know that like, it's, it's good to be a feminist. It's okay to be a feminist. Um, if you believe in equality for both genders, you're a feminist. It's not a bad word. It's not a dirty word. It's not a racy word. Um, men should should embrace it as much as as I think women should too, um, and we should continue to like get Congress for starters to fifty fifty. I mean, yeah, we're even there yet in the most democratic of our institutions, um, you know. And to remind everyone that we've never had a female president when other countries have had female leaders and. Um, 
you know, and 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 this goes for boardrooms and classrooms and and so many other places where we need to inspire young women to not get, you know, demoralized and and they do have a, an important voice in our society. Oh, oh, absolutely, because it's it's so simple. But the more I think we white guys can tend to lose sight of the idea that you're being helped with diversity. It's something that makes us better. Um, a bunch of people with very similar backgrounds, with very similar ideas, all coming up with trying to move the ball forward, aren't going to make much progress. Right. But when you when you actually bring in these other voices, that, that's when you actually have real momentum and you get better ideas when you bring more people to the table that have different backgrounds than you. And it's just, it's so right. vitally important. Um, and it seems like it's such a simple idea. It's why you know, when, if you break it down to that microcosm of just my, in my house, in our house with me and my wife, I, we go to each other for everything. Cause I know left of my devices, I know what I was like in my twenties. I was a hot fucking mess. I need my wife to keep, help me keep it together. So like, and that's just that influence that we have on each other. And I think that as a society, we can take that out. Our neighbors can influence us in positive ways and, you know, your community can influence you in a positive way. And it's not just a myopic view. It's so, so important. It seems so basic, but it's something that I think when you have moments of change, it scares people. And we're going through that again uh, right now. We've never stopped going through it, but it's like, you know, as soon as one feels like one door is uh, kicked open, another one gets shut. And so it's like, okay, here's the thing that is focused on now. And seems like the that we have gay marriage now it's trans equality and those kinds of things and it's it's really people my age and above we're wrestling with it and fighting about it but like i see my seven-year-old and he's going to be fine with it he won't have any issues with it it's all going to get it worked out by then because he won't know a society that was any different i'm hoping because you know when we saw a parade downtown that was, you know, for these kids that were looking to get equal treatment in, uh, in Tucson. And he was asking, okay, so what are they all upset about? And it's like, they just want to be themselves. He's like, oh, okay. I can get behind that. I I get that. That makes sense to me. Somebody's tell them they can't be what they want to be and they want to be able to do that. And he's like, okay, got it on board hundred percent. And so, yeah, it's, it's those little moments like that. Sorry, sorry. I'm kind of off on a tangent and that's what I love about this film is it inspires that kind of thought and it inspires that kind of reconnection with the inner act, uh, activists that I think I lose touch with every once in a while. I, you know, I think people who are uh, scared of losing their power are the ones who are most uh, frightened by change and by leveling the playing field. And so kids come at life with a very like open most kids come at it with a very open like accepting like and they don't have anything to lose like somebody's gender pronoun is not going to really like affect like their their power in life or their choices or their privileges but you know someone like Bella who literally stormed into congress and challenged men who were like protecting an institution that granted them like lifelong careers and lifelong salaries and lifelong mortgages, uh, lifelong um, health insurance um, and the benefits of the the power that comes along with going back to their district and approving things. And, you know, she saw that as a real fundamental conflict with our democracy um, and the constitution. And that still exists today. There are those people, those mainly men who are hanging on to those power, hanging on to that power and um, reluctant to let any change happen. And so that's where we really need to 
push and try to educate when we can, but like really bring in candidates who do not are not saddled with that baggage and are not saddled with that, you know, agenda, um, which I think is really what Bella wanted to. Uh, absolutely. And and that's what you would want out of anybody that you would call a friend. So why that you would want out of, you would want to somebody that would lead with empathy. You would want that out of your boss. So you would want somebody that would lead with compassion and care. And, you know, it's when we change, we're going to screw up along the way. Things, mistakes are going to happen. But as long as we keep trying to make the world better today than it was the day before. And I think in a lot of ways it is, um, it's very easy for somebody with my political persuasion to get caught down in the mire of, you know, where we are with, you know, in regards to our climate policy, where it is with uh, gender rights, where it is with abortion right now, all these things. But, you know, if I, if I take the 40,000 foot view of this and think about where we are, and is this just that back step before we make more progress? And man, I hope so. And, and I really think that's where we are right now, just a slight backslide while we're making progress forward. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Obama's election opened a lot of doors for people to try and make one last stab at things. Um, I always sort of say that Trump's election was racism's last stand. Um, Yeah, it was the death rattle. Yeah, to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's optimistic. I'm sure there's people who would say that it's, you know, not the last and it's going to stick around for a while. Hey there. Um, So, uh, you know, that's, that's the door that's been opened and we sort of have to deal with it. Oh, th- this is, that was my son, uh, Jacob. He just wanted to say hello real quick. Hi, Jacob. Nice to meet you. He- he's in Canada right now. Yes. You, have lots of you see our mountains? <laughs> Bye, buddy. Can you close the door, please? We'll, I'll come out in just a minute, okay? All right. Love you, dude. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> that was very sweet. Thank you yeah. for introducing me. No, I mean, he, every once in a while, he he's very curious about this. So he'll come in and he has questions occasionally for some of the films that I'll watch that it's like, hey, what what, what do you think about this? And he'll come in and uh, interview somebody for a minute for me. So um, that's my lack of professionalism that I invite him into it. So that's on me. He's welcome to stay and listen <laughs> if he wants to. We need well, to get the youth. I'm sorry? <laughs> we yeah. need to educate one hundred percent. Yeah. And and, and it, it comes from if it's coming from an outsider and not just dad uh, preaching at him, it uh, usually carries a little bit more weight. So, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so then. Are you when you're making a film like this, um, do you think about, again, that idea of the takeaway from it when you are structuring this out and telling a story and a narrative? What are you hoping that that next step is after somebody walks out of this film is it the conversation they're having on the way to the car from the lobby is it something that there's a you know they're joining something what are you wanting to be the uh, outcome of a film like this we we put a lot of thought into the closing song for the film and I'll, i'll be curious to hear if it resonated with you um but you know obviously in telling the story of someone's life who's now gone, you know, their death can be somewhat of a sad or an uninspiring moment to end on. Um, And I really wanted to not obviously end there, but to like talk about her legacy and what's next and what's happened and, and how other people can now take this information and this inspiring journey 
and apply it to their own lives. And the song that we chose um, or that was written especially for the film uh, also sort of is meant as like an anthem to like stand up out of your seat in the cinema and say like, I can do this too. If you know, if Bella can do it, I can do it. And it might be something small. It might be like choosing to not take a straw a plastic straw at a, uh, a coffee shop or choosing to recycle something, or maybe it's running for political office yourself. Maybe that's something that you've always thought about and realized that like, you know, Bella did it with a thousand more challenges than probably you have today um, against a much bigger system. And all you need is 20,000 votes maybe in, in most districts. I forget the yeah. exact number. Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. Do you have books, movies, or music gathering dust on your shelves? Give them a new life at Bookman's. They gladly accept trade-ins and buy used media. Clear up some space for new artistic journeys while knowing that your books, movies, and music will find a loving home. On my latest trip to Bookman's, I found a copy of the 1946 film Beauty and the Beast. This film is an absolute classic and a cinematic treasure that has stood the test of time, captivating audiences for generations now. This film is extraordinary. It weaves a spellbinding tale that touches the heart and ignites your imagination. From the very first frame, the exquisite artistry and attention to detail transport you to a mesmerizing realm of fantasy and wonder. Cocteau's visionary direction infuses each scene with poetic elegance and it allows the story to unfold in a visually stunning and emotionally resonant manner. One cannot help but be captivated by the production design and breathtaking cinematography. The opulent castle, with its haunting corridors and magical rooms, becomes a character in itself. And this isn't like when people say New York is a character in the film. This is a literal character in the film. The ethereal lighting and intricate set pieces create a visual feast that immerses the audience in a realm of enchantment. What truly sets this rendition of Beauty and the Beast apart is its ability to delve beyond the surface and explore the complexities of human nature. The film delves into themes of love, sacrifice, and the transformative power of acceptance. It reminds us that true beauty lies within and that appearances can be deceiving. The allegorical elements presented throughout the story add depth and thought-provoking layers, making it a timeless tale with universal resonance. Beauty and the Beast, it's nothing short of a triumph when it comes to storytelling and craftsmanship, a true cinematic gem that continues to captivate audiences even after decades. There's very few things you can see that were made 80 plus years ago, or almost 80 years now, I guess, if I'm doing my math correctly, um, that still hold up. That stands as a testament to the power and imagination and the enduring appeal of a tale as old as time. If you seek a film that transports you to a world of magic, look no further than this timeless masterpiece. I cannot recommend the film highly enough and recommend that you go to your local Bookman's to unearth your new favorite film. Remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. Um... But yeah, like you too can change and and make the world better. And it could be something very small 
or it could be something very large. Um, and maybe it's just passing on the story or passing on the film and bringing it to a classroom um, or reading a book um, that might inspire somebody else or sharing the information with somebody else in a certain way. So I hope it inspires in many different ways and I hope it entertains and I hope it, you know, for those people who lived through that era, I hope it brings back a lot of positive memories. Um, for those who never lived through that era, I'm similar age to yourself and I find that era fascinating. New yeah. York in the 70s sounds wild. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and, right? <laughs> And so I really wanted people to to go on that exciting journey as well. Well, it was I was old enough when I lived in Northeast New Jersey, and I would go into the city. Um, and this would have been like eighty seven through ninety two in that range somewhere. So the city was right at that point where it was being rebuilt, and it seems like every five ten years, the general theme of what you hear is, "Oh, you missed it." You know, 10 years ago is when New York was vibrant and alive and it's over now and it's dead. And then I would hear that again in the early 2000s about the 90s. And I'm sure they're saying that in 2010 about the early 2000s. So it seems like an ever ending cycle oh, yeah. of, of like how it would, you know, you just missed what was amazing about this place. Um, but I personally think that um, when I see the stuff of New York from that particular time period, it's fascinating, incredible art. Not for me, though. I, it's just it, it's frightens me in a way that I don't think I could have cut it. I, I just don't think I had, it used to be the badge of honor that people would wear the, uh, oh yeah. Um, what do you got? I lived in New York. You know, that, that would right. be something you wore is like a cool. Yeah. I can go to Beirut. No problem. That, that's how old I am. There's my <laughs> reference that I'm pulling at this point. So yeah, it was that kind of a thing. And to, to what you were talking about a second ago, what does this film leave you with? What is it? Um, how do you feel at the ending? Yes, it can this film is inspirational. It does feel good. I, I think you, even throughout the whole film, there are there's obstacles that you're seeing that you're have, having to get through. There's ups and downs of this, but it is something that overall, in the totality of it, that you do feel better about the world and you feel like you can affect change, even if it's just on a small level. I do feel like that is the takeaway for me personally from this, that I do find this to be an inspirational piece because... I even when I agree with somebody, if somebody's up on a soapbox, I lose interest really quick. And it, you could have made that film very easily here, and you did not do that. You remembered to make a movie. You made something that was entertaining. And and she's a human being too. Yeah. That I did not want to put her up on a pedestal either. I I really tried hard to like show all sides of her. And 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 just to your comment on New York, I also made sure that I wasn't like putting New York up on a fake pedestal or, uh, or or dramatizing like how great it was or how horrible it was or how dangerous it was. Like I was really asking people who I was interviewing who lived through that period, am I getting this right? Like, was this a big deal or was this not a big deal at the time? And is it has it become a bigger deal like in retrospect? And it gave me very like straight up answers, as you can imagine with New Yorkers. Um, <laughs> So that was that was definitely part of uh, my careful assessment of um, trying to make a balanced film. It's interesting with memory and telling those stories. And um, it's important to have reflection on stories like this. But oftentimes we compartmentalize our past and our history in a way that I don't know that it's 100 percent accurate. Um, I could tell you what happened in events immediately after it happens. 
But if I tell you that exact same story 10 years from now, I'm going to add all this color and insight and other angles to it that I right. don't know are true. It's just how how I have compartmentalized this event, and and so our own history is very strange in that way, and and I and that's why it's so good to have her voice telling a good bit of this story. Yeah, and and I'm a journalist, so like it's on my back and reputation to make sure that I'm not just sharing colorful stories that are sound great. Um, so there was, you know, in, in many of my films, I hear things and I'm like, oh, that's an amazing story. And as I dig deeper, I'm like, that person wasn't even living in that, you know, <laughs> city. <laughs> that's impossible. But, you know, it's it's the part of the journey of filmmaking. And it's, um, I think, having a journalistic approach to it is is really important. And um, I do want people to get the facts and not just the color. No, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Because it's a, uh, it's especially now that you can lose the whole thread by getting something wrong. That people yeah. can discount an entire story because one little piece of information was just a little bit off, and somebody can say, "Well, the whole thing has to unravel because here it is. Here's the thing that uh, we found something that's not true here, and therefore this whole thing is bullshit." And that that's in a case like this where you're, I, yeah, I, I don't and. I don't know. I don't find this film to be something that is exclusively for anybody of a particular political persuasion, because so many of the things that she's talking about here, I think that you could, you could be someone that's right leaning and find inspiration here. You could find a story about that you could lean into, you know, there, a good idea is a good idea. And maybe with this much distance, you can see, see it for what it is. And, you know, when you get into her legislation, um, when she's talking about the idea that you could take any money that was allocated, like the highway bill, anything that's uh, for that infrastructure to build roads, you could take that and you could put that towards public transportation and move that over. I think most people would get behind that idea. That doesn't seem like a right-left concept to me. No, no. And I think no matter what your political bent is, you want to better your community. Like, that's yeah. why one is elected to public office on any level, right? And so you want to have money to make those improvements. And so shifting the money away from projects that are sort of useless, like war, for example, often... Yeah. Um, you know, is is sort of a valuable lesson too, um, which is mentioned in the film. New York spends more on war than on New York. I mean, yeah. how that's such a resonant idea that like um, tons of New Yorkers could get behind and probably were alarmed by when they heard that in '69 in connection to Mayor Lindsay's re-election campaign. Um, but yeah, the point you mentioned from the film that she reallocated money from a, a public transportation bill for any district to use it as they wished is brilliant. And, you know, I'm sure people appreciated that of all stripes. And it was a shame as you find out in the film that the Republicans and the conservatives vilified her and sort of, you know, would say things like, Oh, this is the Bella Abzug bill, i.e. don't vote for it. If you and you know, are voting the right way. And that's what I wanted to get to was that idea that they would shoot down this idea, but it's based on the person who's presenting it. And I think we're there again, where we have this demonization between left and right. And we could have on my side, you know, I, I 
I'm very open about how lefty I am, but I have a feeling that if a good idea came down the right, a lot of the people that I agree with would immediately dismiss it just because, you know, something that a lot of people forget is Obamacare was a heritage foundation idea. Um, And so if you support that, if you're going to the mats for that idea, that was a compromise that we were trying to make to get it through. And that wasn't what we wanted. We wanted single payer, but it became that. And then that became vilified because of the left, right bullshit. And it's just, I I think the idea should be neutral. And, you know, the, the person who's presenting it, we kind of need to just ignore them and just judge the idea for what it is. Right. Right. I I agree with you. And I I find myself slipping into that problem, too. Like, I'll see a headline even and I'll be like, oh, that's wrong, you know. Um, And I think it's it's not just a case of our politics, but the media, um, the way the media has shifted to sort of accommodate the way we absorb media through technology is it's so short and condensed and, you know, just just headlines um, and we don't give the time to like read about the bill, read the article to find out what is actually in this proposal. Um, and that's got to be so frustrating for legislators because, you know, you're just getting like somebody's recap of a one line thing. And it's, yeah. And that's, maybe it's naive. That's well, just, okay, but there's an audience for long form content. At this point, though, yes, there we are in that TikTok moment where there's, but there are TikTok TikTok stories that deserve to be told that way. There are things that absolutely deserve to be told in 30 seconds, but you have podcasts that go on for three, four, five, sometimes six hours, and they're hugely popular. Um, you have things that are the deep dives on the Supreme Court and actually having multiple lawyers sitting around talking and arguing about these things and real deep policy issues that if you're looking for it, you can find that information. These things are getting huge audiences. In fact, sometimes these podcasts are getting bigger numbers than CNN are as far as raw download numbers. And so I think that we're we're short selling ourselves with the idea of long form versus short form content. The problem is we have to do work now. We have to vet. Yeah. It used to be we could just kind of take what we got from the you know major networks, and it was pretty honest. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it was it was pretty. It felt far more objective than it does now. Um, and so we're just pat we're past that point. You just have to do a little bit of digging on your end. Not I'm not a do your own research guy, but you just need to see. Okay, <laughs> does this make sense? Is this valid? Do the general is the general consensus? Is this bullshit or not? Give it that sniff test before you go down the YouTube rabbit hole of proving your uh, sort of conspiracy theory ideas. But yeah, that that just my own little side thing that I have where I I personally think we're actually not bad that we have probably longer attention spans now than we have for quite some time in some ways as a long as a long form storyteller i hope and pray you're right (laughs) well i mean you know think about it if like even in the most pop culture ways um something people will spend 20 hours watching one show to get to where it finally gets good you know i and i I think it's that risk versus reward thing where it's just the hour and a half for me i'm a movie guy i would rather have 20 different experiences with 20 different stories before i dive into 20 hours or two seasons before something pans out but i guess if you get 60 hours of entertainment in the end it's worth it i guess but i kind of like to mix it up a little bit and i guess that's my own personal um version of 
short form entertainment. It's just they come in an hour and a half blocks, two hour blocks. Yeah. As as a writer and, and filmmaker, I know that like you have to hook people on the first 15 minutes. And it's yep. it's even shorter than that. It's 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 sometimes five to ten. And you you everyone knows it from ourselves, from like turning on Netflix and giving something five minutes and be like, nah, there's something else I'd rather watch. Sure. Uh, and so for me, you know, when in making this film in particular, I really wanted the first six minutes is kind of the in- introduction um, before you hit the, uh, the title card. And I, we, we went through that umpteen different versions to find the, just the right formula. Um, and I hope it hooks people and I hope they get the sense that, that of who Bella is and, and is captivated by her speeches, for example, like, like you mentioned earlier, and also the women and the people that she inspired. I mean, we tried to introduce audiences to a lot of those great women who are in the film in that first block, just to say like, you know, Lily Tomlin and Barbara Streisand and Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton all looked up to Bella because there were no other choices at that time. And they they gravitated towards her, they supported her, they lent their celebrity image and voice to her campaign so that she would be elected. Um, and so the first introduction to Bella is is pretty rich and powerful, I, agree. I think. No, yes, it uh, works. Good. And I then mean, it gets you to the heart of the story. Well, there's something that when you use aspect ratio, um, when you switch between old footage and you have something that's very small sitting in the middle of the screen, um, it causes you to lean in a little bit where you kind of have to pay attention to it. And when you're going back, when, when you go to the modern, you know, digital photography and you're pulling out and it has a much different look and you hear people talking about this very small thing, it makes, it does make you lean in a little bit, I think, and pay attention. And it's something that's, I don't know how conscious that is for people, but it is something that absolutely has that impact. I think when you're the way you're juxtaposing those different um, styles of film in the beginning. Good. Yeah, it's it's fun to play with all the ingredients and mix them together and sort of see how it all interacts and the music and the effects and the graphics and the titles. And, you know, it's it took a long time to make this film <laughs> uh, because there are so many ingredients. Um, but it's it's really satisfying seeing them all come together. It's like cooking. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's. It's like cooking. It's like music. It's like, you know, you pick up a guitar and you're playing something and then it becomes something wildly different when someone puts a little bit of a beat behind it. And then somebody comes in and adds a little piano to it. And it's just all these little things that add to that. And eventually you, you can overdo it. You, you know what? We didn't need a string section on this one. This is really something that needs to be more stripped down in this moment um, where you can oversell something. And in political documentaries, I can absolutely understand the impulse to do that, but I think you did a really wonderful job of not overselling here and actually using restraint and not pushing too hard and letting people draw their own conclusions. So you don't insult the audience. Good. Thank you. That's wonderful to hear. You're one of the first people to have watched it. Oh, wow. Um, Who's not directly related to me in some (laughs) (laughs) other, other than our, you know, producing partners and sure the people adjudicated the Ken Burns prize and that kind of thing. But this version of the film that's coming out, you know, in the next few weeks and the screener that we sent out 
just in the last week or two, um, this is the first time I'm hearing some of these reactions. So I'm I'm really happy to hear this. You're going to hear more of it, man. This is uh, get get used to it, get comfortable with it. If you're anything like me, uh, people of our generation, not the most comfortable with compliments necessarily, but you're going to have plenty of them coming your way because you did something special here, man. I'd rather hear compliments than anything else. So. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jeff, it was really nice to meet you and congratulations on the film again. You got something special. So I do appreciate you taking the time. It was a pleasure to meet you. My pleasure. And thank you for all the good questions and good insight. And great to meet you as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the weather up there. I'm I'm jealous. So come visit sometime. <laughs> I will. I will. I, I have friends up there. So I need it's been too long. I need to get up there. So Take care, man. You're good. And I look forward to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll have it out time to the release of the film. So it'll be coming out. It's uh, I'll go back. And yeah, I know we're a couple weeks ahead of schedule here. But yes, I will make sure that this is a uh, time to release because I want to spread the word. This is a fun one. I think uh, I'm I'm looking forward to having the conversations about this film after it. I'm looking forward to what it will inspire, not just the uh, film itself, but the conversations that are that spin out of it, I think, is are going to be the real things that are fun with this one. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see the life that it takes on its own. Awesome. And, and let me know if you need anything else, if some other questions or issues or uh, thoughts arise later, and I'm, I'm around. I will. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope
always crack.